Chapter 24 of Mountain Adventures in the Various Countries of the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phoebe Archibald. Mountain Adventures in the Various Countries of the World by John Timms. Chapter 24 The Peak of Tenerife. Ascent by Berthelot. It was on the 8th of July that I determined to climb to the very peak of Tide, better known in Europe under the name of the Peak of Tenerife. I intended to reach it by the southern slopes, and I knew that before me no one had attempted it on that side, because the paths which led to it are almost impracticable. But then I thought I might possibly find there some plants which had escaped the learned researches of Broussinet and of Charles Smith and this hope alone outweighed all the obstacles. I was at this time at Chasna, a village situated in a most picturesque position on the south of the peak, and at about 4,600 feet above the level of the sea, although it was hardly three leagues distant from the southern side of the isle. I set out from thence at five o'clock in the morning, with Mr. McGregor, then English consul at the Canaries, and with two guides who were to accompany us. After two hours' march, we arrived at the base of the central mountains. The pines which covered almost all the land that we had crossed gradually became more rare, and as we advanced into the gorge of Oaxcansa, these beautiful trees insensibly disappeared and were replaced by various brooms. Oaxcansa is a place which is worthy of a visit. A volcanic eruption, accompanied no doubt by violent commotions, overthrowing the base of the central mountains, gave birth to the gorge now existing there. The principal crater, which is easily recognized, vomits a torrent of vertified lava, which inundates the neighboring places and follows its course towards the coast, traversing a space of more than two leagues. The wildness of this place is still more increased by the enormous rocks which seem to have become detached from the neighboring heights. Emerging from the gorges of Ocansa, we continued to ascend the mountain in front of us, the white heaths of which we had already found some bushes, then showed themselves in greater number, and soon extended so as to form a sort of belt, of vegetation exclusively round the bases of the peak. The place at which we had arrived was called De Goyada de Ocansa. Tenerife was in front of us. We could already count the torrents of black lava which marked its sides, we could also see all the central mountains of Tenerife. Indeed, it is only from this point that a view can be obtained which embraces the whole group of these volcanic summits. The view is most imposing, and no description can give a just idea of it. These Canadas mountains, which may probably have once formed a perfectly circular chain, present now two great passages whose ruinous approaches plainly indicate the violent causes which have created them. Their high crests rise to more than 9,000 feet above the level of the ocean, and all the space enclosed by their line of circumvallation round these trachytic mountains constitutes one immense crater, whose origin was probably prior to that of the peak itself, which the geologist Escalar called El Io de las Canadas, the sun, of the Canadas. It is nearly in the middle of this elliptical crater 
of which the greatest diameter is about five leagues, that the peak rises, still smoking, above all this agitated soil. The vast circle which surrounds it is known as Tenerife by the name of the Gorges of the Peak, Canadas del Tid, or simply Canadas. The path which conducts to the Degollada of Ocanza, in the bottom of the gorges, is a very rugged one. The opposite slope of the mountain is almost perpendicular, and presents in several places precipices which are more than 900 feet deep. When we were descending into the interior of the Canadas, we could scarcely conceive how we should ever arrive there, but at last we succeeded. The level of these gorges is about 9,000 feet above the sea, and the peak rises about 3,000 feet above this level. We had, on one side, the vast slopes of the Great Cone, and on the other the chain of mountains from which we had descended, and whose almost perpendicular side served of old as a division of the immense boiling crater. Truly an astonishing spectacle. If in imagination we go back to the ages of geological disturbance in which this frightful volcano was in all its activity, we shall not be able to think without horror of that flaming gulf of more than nine leagues in circumference, and of nine hundred feet in depth. Yet only thus can we form an idea of the state of fermentation of this area of incandescence, and the formation of the peak in the middle of this gulf will then appear only as a secondary phenomenon. After having admired these grand volcanic effects, and before we proceeded still nearer to the base of the peak, we were obliged to rest ourselves at the source of La Pedra, for we were suffocated by the heat. In this elevated region, the air is always calm and clear, the heavens always of a brilliant azure, and the lightest cloud never comes to break its uniformity. The intensity of the solar rays in these gorges, their reflection from the layers of white gravel stone, their dazzling scintillation on the fragments of pumice stone and obsidian which cover the ground, are so many causes of the high temperature. From thence you look down on the clouds, and so there are none of those pleasant mists which in lower regions from time to time refresh the atmosphere, moisten the earth, and vify the vegetation. The inhabitant of the plains who crosses this belt soon feels its influence. The extreme dryness of the air closes the pores, stops perspiration, and cracks his skin. An immoderate thirst ceaselessly torments him, and often he seeks in vain for some hidden spring which still could only quench his thirst for an instant. It is in vain also that to avoid the heat of the sun he tries to take refuge under the bushes of broom or the shadow of some rock. The earth everywhere is burning, everywhere the heat is insupportable. Everywhere there reigns this depressing stillness, and he is speedily forced to quit the shelter in which no breath of air can be felt. The source of La Piedra supplies a deliciously cool water, to which the goats that are left to wander in these gorges, and the bees whose hives are placed in the neighborhood, come to quench their thirst. A quantity of white broom grows near it, and indeed this useful shrub is the ornament of these canadas. The goats browse, too, on its stems, while the bees ceaselessly muck the perfumed flowers. So even in the most desert places, nature seems to have provided for the wants of all. Without the broom, which is so abundantly spread over this valley, how could these flocks and precious forms subsist? 
and yet the latter form one of the most important branches of rural economy to the inhabitants of the south. We now continued our way along the defile of Canada Blanca, and our guides made us afterwards cross a torrent of lava which was on our right, then another, and soon after a third. They call all these places which have been invaded by the eruption Malpe, Mauvais Pays. In proportion to the height we attained, did the obstacles seem to become more and more insurmountable, and every minute we had to scramble over the heaps of scorn or the masses of obsidian which lay in our way. We had marched for more than two hours over this terrible ground when our guides, who had already stopped several times to consult together, began to appear uncertain as to the road which they ought to follow. Very soon one of them came to announce to us that we had wandered from the right way and that we must give up our enterprise. We were not of his mind. We had gone too far to give up. But somehow we felt that we must get out of that particular spot, for night was coming, and besides this place to which our ignorant guides had conducted us, was a discouraging one. The lava heaped up in blocks surrounded us on every side, and further on it appeared to be spread in sheets, so we did not know which way to turn. However, at all hazards, and by main force, we managed to clear a way for the unfortunate horse that carried our provisions, and which had almost been killed over and over again during this journey. We were nearly worn out with fatigue when we arrived at the foot of a, a mountain of pumice, leaning against the peak. On getting clear of this pumice, our shoes and stockings were in rags, for we had already reached one of the slopes of the peak, and we took courage. I knew this place too, for it was on the way I had gone in 1825 on my first expedition. Certain now of wandering no more, we pushed on boldly towards La Estancia, where we at length arrived about nine o'clock, in the light of a fine moon. In spite of the height of the station, we found the temperature very supportable. We breathed the purest air, and some light gusts of north wind brought to us the perfume of the broom. Our people had no sooner arrived than they collected a quantity of the neighboring bushes, which they heaped together and lighted. On this they laid to roast an unfortunate goat, which they had killed in the Canadas. Soon after supper they grouped themselves round the fire, and each fell asleep in his place. As for me, I could not do much in the way, for the forced march of the day had heated my blood, but in such a state of irritation one sleeps but ill, especially on rocks. The spectacle beneath my eyes was likewise too full of attraction for me. The serenity of the heavens, the solitude of the place, the strange forms of the rocks heaped around our bivouac, and these grand shadows which veiled the gorges out of which we had just come, all of these things formed an imposing tableau. It was three o'clock in the morning when we left the place of our bivouac in order to advance towards the point of the peak. The pathway which we followed first, although very much inclined, is notwithstanding practicable enough. But on approaching the Alta Vista, the irregularity of the ground became frightful on account of the encumbrance of the various matters which the volcano had vomited, and one could not walk too cautiously amidst so many crevices and roughnesses. After having got clear of this malpais de Tade, as our guides called it, we arrived at the course of La Rambleta. Everything seemed to point out the existence in this place of a crater anterior to that of the summit of the peak, for it is from hence that all the numerous torrents of lava flowed which have inundated the Canadas. 
the teed or peak must have had intervals of rest, and it was probably after one of them that a new eruption produced the peak. This volcanic head, which has covered up the old opening, really rises in the midst of La Rambleta. Now it crowns the mountain, and the slopes of its summits, which we saw beneath us, were lighted up by the first rays of the rising sun. Sulphurous exhalations were already perceptible, and we saw that we were near the end of our enterprise. But this little cone remained still to be ascended, and its height was about 440 feet. The pumice stones and the remains of lava rendered this ascent very fatiguing. However, after we had rested and taken breath several times, we at length reached the summit. The view which one enjoys at this elevation is perfectly grand. It would be impossible for me to give an exact idea of it. To explain the impression which this sublime spectacle produced on me would be still more difficult. I felt at the same time a sort of giddiness, and yet of ecstasy. I was dumb with admiration. From that culminating point, whence the eruptions burst forth at 12,000 feet above the level of the sea, our view embraced seven islands. On the east, the high peaks of the Grand Canary pierced through the clouds that were gilded by the rays of the sun. Further on, we discovered Lanzarote and Fortaventura. On the west, the shadow of Tenerife extended in an immense triangle as far as Gomera, and not far off were to be seen Palma and the Isle of Faro. Below us lay Tenerife, with the whole circuit of its coast, the different chains of its mountains, its plateau, and its picturesque valleys. Our eyes wandered long over this multitude of hollows and risings, which the play of its shadows showed to us. We could have wished to make out all the localities, and to recognize every object, but the panorama was too distant for it to be possible to seize all of its details. It was but a plain in relief. We could not properly appreciate the heights and, and the distances, for from thence even the hill seemed to sink under the peak. We were almost beside ourselves with admiration at the immensity of this picture, but the scene soon changed its aspect. As the sun advanced in its course, so the vapors rose on all sides. Gradually we saw condensed masses floating about, and white clouds forming themselves over the places where a great quality of vegetation sucked in, and constantly reproduced new mists. Thus insensibly, the whole surface of the island became covered, over which we stood as over an ocean of clouds. Berthelet, Bulletin de la Société de Géographie End of chapter 24 Recording by Phoebe Archibald.